0: Welcome to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, your number one spot for classic movie rewatches and breakdowns. My name is Jack Oremus, and I'm here with my sister Emma Oremus. We decided that we wanted to make a show that reflected our love and appreciation for classic movies. And while you're here, hopefully we can share that together as an Old Soul family. We're going to be diving into these movies scene by scene and giving our modern reactions to the films that have influenced generations of people. There will be fun facts, hot takes, tears, laughter, and everything in between. And with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about Natalie Wood, our first actress spotlight. Ugh, how exciting. Emma, how did we go about choosing Natalie Wood as our first actress that we wanted to cover?
1: Well, you know, there were a lot of actresses that we wanted to cover. So many leading ladies that are deserving of a more in-depth look and that we will definitely cover eventually. We were deciding what movie we might want to cover. And when we decided on that, I looked at the leading actress in that movie and I'm like, you know what, Natalie Wood. She is such an interesting person in the history of cinema to look at. One of the most successful child to adult actor transitions that I can think of off the top of my head and fascinating life, interesting roles, controversial death. There's a lot going on in her life. And her daughter, Natasha Gregson Wagner, just released a book alongside a documentary about her mother called More Than Love. And so a lot of people have been really into that lately. And I figured since so many people are interested in her as of right now this is a perfect time to cover her because yeah she's a really interesting woman
0: yeah this might just be me and I might get some slack for it but I sometimes get Natalie Wood and Sharon Tate mixed up I think it's because of I think it's because (laughs) of the death stuff but yeah I mean not for their roles or anything both just really, really sad endings, obviously, to their lives. But yeah, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about Natalie Wood. She had a very crazy, expansive career, I would say.
1: Extremely expansive. And she was considered one of the most sought after actresses in the 1960s. And I'm on such a 60s kick after our little graduate endeavor last week. (laughs) So I'm excited to to get more into it.
0: Oh, definitely. And why don't we jump in? So, Natalie Wood. She was born Natalia Nikolaevna. Nikolaevna?
1: Natalia Nikolaevna Zakarenko.
0: Wow. So, what a name. What what a Russian <laughs> name. If you couldn't tell, she is the daughter of Russian immigrants. She was born in San Francisco on July 20th in 1938. Ooh! wow. What a time. Right before World War II. That's pretty crazy.
1: That is kind of fascinating to look at. They... Started off in San Francisco, and then they moved to Santa Rosa, which is actually where Natalie was first kind of spotted by a film crew that was working on a movie in that town. And her mother was like, huh, my daughter has a future in this. It's been documented that Natalie's mother, Maria, had an interest in the entertainment industry herself. And then it's believed that those wishes were transferred down to her daughter. (laughs) <laughs> I yeah, see you shaking I'm, your I'm, head. <laughs>
0: I'm shaking my head over here because I have a bone to pick with Maria Zakarenko. I think that this woman might have single-handedly screwed up her daughter's life. I mean, in a way, in a way, you know, she gave her an incredible opportunity. She basically, you know, helped her find her career. But I will say this, that little stint of Natalie being spotted on set or whatever in Santa Rosa happened, I think when she was what, four years old.
1: Yeah. Something like that.
0: So I will admit there's always going to be a need for child actors, but I'll caveat that with my thought that it is also essentially like child labor and that it takes away just a certain youth, like a certain aspect of your youth when you kind of grow up through that. You can talk a little bit about what Maria would do maybe to um, (laughs) introduce Natalie into the scene.
1: I'm not, you know, a child star personally. I'm not friends with any personally. I've never really been exposed to any child stars in a personal capacity. But I will say there is kind of this, I think, sense of having to grow up very quickly and having to become a professional very early on and over control in your life, I think, and you're not a child forever. And I think it would make the process of growing up very difficult. So I can absolutely see where some struggles became potentially internalized and colored her life later on. But yes, yeah, so after this sort of incident or whatnot, mother really had this huge ambition to make her into a star. Her father was a little bit more on the hesitant side. And the whole family was uprooted and moved to L.A. in pursuit of Natalie becoming this major star. She appeared in a brief role in the movie Happy Land and caught the attention of director Irving Peichel. And then he kind of stayed in contact with the family for a couple of years, and she went on. Her name was changed to Natalie Wood by some executives at RKO, which was in reference to the director Sam Wood. He directed films like Goodbye Mr. Chips and The Pride of the Yankees for some mm-hmm. reference. Yeah, and then she got this really big part, kind of her first named character role instead of an uncredited role in Pachelle's movie Tomorrow Is Forever, which also starred Orson Wells. They really saw something in her, and it was kind of disturbing. Her mother would do things such as tearing a butterfly to pieces in front of Natalie so that she would sob a scene appropriately, which is really disturbing. And yeah, I can't even imagine. And But I will say there were a lot of glimmers that this girl had it in her to be destined to be a star one day. Orson Welles said that she was born a professional, and she was, quote unquote, so good, she was terrifying. So high compliments and praise from Mr. Wells. Then you just have this snowball effect. She signed on to 20th Century Fox. So yes, even child stars signed contracts with major studios, which is just wow, wild, wild to think about. She was what, seven? And then she starred in this movie that I think really put her on the map, known as Miracle on 34th Street
0: yeah miracle on thirty fourth street the uh the Christmas classic I think right up there in the same vein as it's a wonderful life and a few others but i mean she she was just such a an adorable kid, I oh think- my
1: goodness, I have a favorite movie of her, I think, in all of her years, if you will. I mean, she had a real like forty year long career. It's it's crazy. Yeah, from the 40s to the 80s. So it's, it's really insane. And this is probably my favorite of her childhood movies for sure. She's so cute. She's so precocious. You know what? Like I kind of said earlier, she has this to me is one of the most successful examples of a child that transitioned to adult roles. Yes, with problems and Hitches here and there. But as a kid, she kind of played like she was older. And I think that that helped pave the way a little bit into some of those roles that she got later because she did have this little adultness to her and seriousness to her very early on.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think you can definitely see little aspects of maturity. Some kids just carry themselves in a different way. And it's- there was a little anecdote too that I read about where she was learning. You know, she had to, I guess, attend three hours of class a day because she was under 18. And a couple of things caught my attention from that. One, that she was actually pretty smart, that she was good at arithmetic and that other directors and other, I guess, adults could see that in her, that she had intelligence, but also that she had the guilt and sort of the awareness about the crew, the rest of the crew sort of waiting for her to finish her classes. And and all that.
1: That's tricky because I do see that she is a professional early on and is like, okay, this is holding me up from doing my job essentially. But also that's a lot to put on yourself as a kid because as an adult, you can see like, okay, obviously they're filling that time with things that they can do without her. But as a kid, that's like someone taking on a lot of responsibility, which I'm sure factored into her whole image of herself. Yeah. So like you said, California law required her to have at least three hours of education, which is, you know, awesome. She ended up appearing in over 20 films as a child star, and she would play the daughter of other really well-known actors of the time, such as Jimmy Stewart or Joan Blondell and Betty Davis. So it's kind of like they're passing the torch to her in these films, which is really interesting. Like, here's the next generation of big name stars. So really cool there. And now I think is a maybe appropriate time to bring up this haunting aspect of her life that she would carry around until her passing. Like we mentioned earlier, her mother Maria was the OG momager. Super, super hands-on with her daughter's career. And one thing that really stuck with Natalie early on, Was her fear of water that her mother kind of implemented into her head. According to her sister Lana Wood, by the way, you might know Lana Wood as Plenty O'Toole in the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever. Lana Wood, her sister, said that their mother saw a fortune teller in China who predicted that someone in their family would die of drowning. And that really obsessively stuck with Natalie, and she developed a huge. Huge fear of water. She never learned to swim. She wouldn't go in their family pool. Anxious, terrified, beyond belief. And what really <laughs> cemented this fear was that when she was 10 years old and filming The Green Promise, a bridge collapsed and threw her into the water and she seriously injured herself. She broke her wrist and it became disfigured forever. And she experienced horrendous nightmares about drowning from then forward. So just to let you know, she carried this prophecy with her from very early on.
0: I was going to say, it doesn't sound like she's going to take a midnight dip in Catalina <laughs> Island anytime soon, <laughs> but we'll get back to that later, <clears throat> Mr. Wagner. Or <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> whatever. Um... Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty crazy story, and obviously something that just is awful for a kid to to experience that so early and to yeah have that in the back of your head, jeez, so scary uh, stuff.
1: Do you imagine? And we'll we'll bring up other incidences of her fear of water later. But yeah, so this
0: was th- this was Maria's idea. The mom again,
1: the the mother retold this story okay to her daughters okay. yes yeah she said she saw a fortune teller apparently who said someone is gonna die of water and certain personalities can really take that on and that seems to have been natalie
0: yeah wow it's kind of like an evil chris kardashian or a more evil chris kardashian i would say
1: <laughs> sure
0: yeah but very uh very interesting stuff yeah i mean She gained a lot of notice when she was a child actress, just because of all the films that she was involved in, especially Miracle on 34th Street. But she had a lot of hype, and I think that that.
1: Oh yeah, so
0: it's it's hard to deal with and hard to live up to when you're so young like that, especially because it's so it's such a subjective field, you know. It's not.
1: She's adorable, and yeah, I can't even imagine being paraded around the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and whatnot.
0: Yeah, so I guess the next natural transition for her would be her teenage years, her growing a little bit more, which I can yeah. actually see as being really tough, not only because like of what ended up happening, but just because like you're stuck between being an adorable little girl where you're innocent and not much is expected of you and being sort of a fully grown woman where you're mature <laughs> and you know exactly what life is about.
1: I think we... We can all think of a child star off the top of our heads. And think about that. And that's just kind of where people permanently put them in their minds. And to break out of that successfully is an extremely difficult challenge. For example, I mean, this is just a modern day example. The Olsen twins. I think a lot of people, yes, you can see them as adults in your head. But I think a lot of people go, oh, Michelle Tanner from Full House. And they see her as the you got a dude girl.
0: Macaulay Culkin. Kid, oh, of course, the, the kid from Stuart Little. Like these are just people that you almost don't want to see as adults.
1: It's a little easier to just keep them in a time capsule of them as a kid forever. So yeah, I'm sure that was a huge challenge. But I think she went about it kind of in an interesting way. She transitioned from her child career to her teenage career, starting with this short-lived sitcom called The Pride of the Family. It lasted like a year And I really can't tell you much about it, (laughs) but you know what? I think that was kind of a good idea because it put her in a new medium. It wasn't films. It was TV shows. So I'm sure there are people that gravitated more towards TV shows or people that gravitated more towards movies. And during that time, of course, as we've talked about before, TV was expanding. So that was a good way to reach a bigger mass of people with your new image. Makes a lot of sense to me. Too bad it didn't work further. And then she gets this groundbreaking, career-changing, awesome role, which was Judy in Rebel Without a Cause, which came out in 1955, in which she starred opposite of James Dean.
0: Yeah, I can just see those two sort of personalities just kind of coming together perfectly. It's kind of what was missing in East of Eden.
1: (laughs) I think that she would have been a great Abra, but I know that that's not what they were looking for. But yeah, they blend great together. I mean, she was nominated for best supporting actress, I believe in that role. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was a great idea because you are becoming more of an adult type actor in that because you are a love interest, but it's in a little bit of a safer setting where you're like a teenager. So it's a little bit softer and more innocent than this mature woman. And it's in an ingenue role which is very safe for this a young actress or someone kind of restarting their career and oh yeah and at this time she changed uh, studios and she signed on with Warner Brothers so new studio new direction a lot of new stuff going on
0: yeah yeah and I think just to get her first Academy Award nomination too so that happened in 1955 which would have made her 17.
1: Yes. And I would argue that it could have happened sooner if she had been given a more dramatic role like like I think of some of the roles that young actresses were nominated for later or that were available to actresses later, and I think that if we transported her into more modern times where we have these more dramatic young actress roles. I think she totally could have nailed a nomination as a kid to be totally honest,
0: yeah, yeah, no, definitely
1: and you know what's difficult though about the Rebel Without a Cause film is that it became a double-edged sword because then she was typecast as the girlfriend role, such as in the movie The Girl He Left Behind or A Cry in the Night, both came out in 1956, or Bomber's B-52, which came out in 1957. And they tried to make her into this kind of dynamic duo with the actor Tab Hunter, and it just did not work at all. I agree you know what? For all we know, it could have been her and James Dean had he not passed away. It could have been. In that time, but I don't know. Yeah, you know.
0: That's a huge what if. And maybe, you know, they get together. Maybe who who knows? Who knows what happens after that? But
1: I know. That would have been fascinating to yeah. me. And I think it is kind of important to know. So she was around seventeen then when she started with James Dean. Something though that there aren't a lot of details on, but a lot of people and her friends seem to be in agreement on was that she was raped or sexually assaulted at sixteen years old from a much older producer during an audition of sorts. and that of course, deeply, deeply affected her. and she was very scared to go to the police and ever reported it because and i and there is some suggestion that her mother, Pushed that because she wanted her daughter to keep having a career in Hollywood. This is, of course, decades before we've had a Me Too movement. So we don't have a ton of details on that. But her closest friends have shared and her sister have shared that that did happen. And that's extremely unfortunate, but important to remember as we see her as a teen actress, that she went through this terrible trauma.
0: Did you by chance look deeper into that to see who that might have been? I found a few. And the one that keeps coming up is Kirk Douglas.
1: Um, I've heard that it's likely a producer.
0: Robert Downey Jr., I think, actually mentioned it. But, that he um,
1: thinks it's also Kirk Douglas?
0: Yeah, if you just Google who rapes Natalie Wood, there's a Guardian article about it. There's a few other blog posts that kind of come up. But, yeah, a few few articles that suggest it. But, again, Natalie Wood never disclosed it, so...
1: It's hard to say, but what can be said is that this did happen, which, wow, how terrible. And something that so many child stars experience. Right. Absolutely terrible. So just keep that in mind that she went through that in her life. From a career standpoint, her range was definitely starting to get noticed by Rebel Without a Cause and a couple other films that came out, the ones that weren't so shallow. And she really encapsulated how children of her generation were growing up. She kind of was born during an interesting time. It wasn't quite boomer and it wasn't quite, you know, 20s or depression babies and it was this very lots of inner struggles and difficulty expressing that and difficulty growing up and she really captured that super well
0: yeah no definitely
1: also during this time when she was a teenager she went on a date with robert wagner on mm-hmm. her i think 18th birthday the studio arranged it because she had a crush on him and she married Ragnar in 1957 and they were married for a couple of years or not a couple they divorced in April 1962 so that was her first marriage and yeah they didn't have any children together at the time but obviously that was where they both were in their lives
0: yeah yeah I was gonna say a little bit before that happened I think going back into her career a little bit she struggled a little with sort of the transition but then she happened to see an Elliot Kazan film.
1: Yes. She saw the Elliot Kazan film, one of my all-time favorite movies ever, 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 ever. And I was tempted to cover that this season. We still might, a streetcar named Desire. Yes.
0: 1951.
1: Starring Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando. And this it's a killer performance by Vivian Lee. And Vivian Lee became a huge hero to Natalie Wood in terms of acting. And it totally makes sense. Their styles are similar. And Vivian Lee does a great job of being strong and vulnerable at the same time and being hypersensitive, but also pushing through. And Natalie just was super inspired by that. And it led to a really great match for her own career with Kazan later.
0: I was going to say, I think that's pretty cool that she was able to to spot this one film, Elia Kazan, Vivian Lee, and then actually have the the means of pursuing something with Kazan after that not everyone has I think the accessibility to their heroes I think that Mm -hmm. easily but with people sort of not knowing what Natalie's career was gonna end up being especially after being a child star I think that Kazan being able to identify sort of that emotional part in her was something that was pretty cool and something that he was able to you know take a chance on.
1: Definitely. Everyone picture your favorite childhood stars or childhood to teenage stars. Not a lot of them. Make it. (laughs) Rocket forward into appropriate roles for them as grown adult. I mean, yes, there's definitely exceptions to the rule, but I think a lot of the times it's really, you see kind of a flounder or a plateau that happens. She had a stellar two years, her four Big films were released between 1961 and 1963, which are Splendor in the Grass, West Side Story, Gypsy, and Love with the Proper Stranger. So kind of digging into our first one here that we've already kind of alluded to, Splendor in the Grass, 1961, directed by Elia Kazan, also starring Warren Beatty. Wow. I don't know if you've seen this film, Jack, but the first time I saw this one, I thought it was such a powerful film and really amazing for 1961. I was shocked at how it explored such a deep, deep, deep yet universal issue that really is not brought to light a lot. For those of you that haven't seen it, the Beatty character and the Wood character are together, but the Wood character is more not ready for sexual activities and encounters. And so the boyfriend then turns to a girl that's more willing to have sexual encounters with him. And the character, the girl character, has a huge breakdown about sexuality and herself and goes through a lot of mental health issues. And it's really fascinating. And she kills it. I actually will say of her nominations, to me, this is the most deserving, I think, of the the Academy Award.
0: Yeah, this was her second nomination.
1: Yes, her second nomination. Really amazing. And Elia Kazan did ask her to dig deeper. He asked her about herself, her personal life, her as a person, which I'm sure is kind of the first time that something like that would happen.
0: You know her mom isn't asking her about that (laughs) stuff.
1: (laughs) No, and it ended up being a giant game changer because he kind of introduced her to informal method acting training and techniques as we know elia kazan does wonders with method actors and method acting so it was a terrific match and i think it shot her to the forefront of being a big star in the 60s so really cool check out splendor in the grass if you haven't seen it it is kind of like um a darker one maybe but i think yeah. it's some of her best work
0: Yeah, that's just interesting. I think for me, just seeing the parallels between her and James Dean and just how emotional they got sort of after these films, maybe a parallel stuff that was actually happening in their real life that Kazan was able to help bring out, you know, like we mentioned the assault for Natalie Wood and James Dean dealing with all of his personal struggles too. And remembering just kind of what we covered from East of Eden, even him breaking down after filming, it's got to be draining. And The fact, I think, that she was going through therapy at this time, too, I believe.
1: And she was open about that, too, which was really interesting to Kazan as well. I'm sure that it brought her to stardom, but I'm sure that that came with a lot of complications as well. Fun little, not, this is actually not a fun fact at all, but (laughs) just resurfacing the fear of water here. Elliot Kazan was aware of her mega fear of water, and he had to lie he promised that she would have a double for a water scene, and he tricked her into doing a water scene, like a, in a water reservoir where she's in water. Wow, that was a lot of times they said water. Yeah, it basically tricked her into embracing her biggest fear. So just so you know, manipulated once again, shot into this deep, dark anxiety. Yeah,
0: again. Don't think she's going out for a midnight dip in the, <laughs> the waters near Catalina anytime soon. But yeah, so sort of parallel to Splendor happening. Oh, my goodness.
1: West Side Story.
0: West Side Story. The, the film that we're going to cover next week. Emma, what is the deal with West Side Story?
1: West Side Story, we will dig way deeper into it next week, but it came out in 1961 as well. Natalie Wood plays Maria, and she's a Puerto Rican girl on the west side of Manhattan, and it's based off of the stage musical that was a huge success. It's an interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, this was another huge role that we all associate her with. She plays that romantic young role, that kind of ingenue spirit, and her voice was not showcased in this film, but it showed a little bit of versatility to her because, of course, she had to dance, and it's definitely a different genre. She's spreading her wings a little bit. Really interesting that this is kind of the turn she took, Mm -hmm. and yes, we think of musicals as being super lighthearted and fun, but this is actually, I would argue, a very emotional <laughs> yeah. like, serious deeper topic of divides between people so I think this was kind of a happy marriage between that deeper acting and dipping your toes into a I don't know softer genre mm-hmm. so you're again kind of building your appeal to right. a few different audiences and yeah that was very cool and we will definitely. Definitely dive more into it next week. Stay tuned. Everyone loves a musical cover.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing I have to add on top of that is just you can really tell. I think that her confidence is starting to to surface. Oh, totally. And totally, so, totally. Y- yeah. I mean, we all know. I feel pretty. I feel pretty. You know, and it's also
1: like worlds different than Splendor in the Grass. And to think <laughs> that they came out at the same time is really awesome. I think there's a few actors these days that we can think of where we're like, they're always in the same role or it's just yeah. the same thing. The Rock. Recycle. What's blowing up
0: this movie? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, she went from like a very shy, awkward girl with uh mental health complications to this girl who's very much soaring and kind of expanding herself as a character like the character is being rebellious and whatnot it kind of alludes to rebel without a cause a little bit there's similarities between the roles and forbidden love and all that jazz but this is this is a way more confident natalie in my opinion than rebel without a cause
0: yeah and then immediately after West Side Story, she starred in Gypsy.
1: Yes. So we get Gypsy. And I think it's really important to highlight this one. It's a not always the most remembered film. I mean, I think it's pretty well known, but some people are like, what's Gypsy? And this one, I'm sure, hit super close to home for her. And I am certain that she used method acting or a type of method acting that she learned while working with Kazan because Gypsy is about a stage mother who's really pushing for her daughter's success as a performer and the mother is living this kind of vicarious dream through her daughters the less talented one is kind of the only one she has hope for anymore and she's pushing her to stardom wow I'm sure that did sound familiar to her at all <laughs> and I'm sure that was an easy yet hard role to play where it's like yeah, this, this is me, this is, this is my life, but it can also hit a lot of maybe emotional triggers and be like, Oh wow, this is uncovering a lot in me. Yeah. (laughs) Could go a few ways. It could be a cathartic experience or it could be kind of a, wow, I'm reliving all of my worst parts of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very critically acclaimed movie and role for her. But I think it's important to recognize the parallels between her real life and that character's life.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen Gypsy either, but it does sound almost exactly like the life that she was living. So like you mentioned, I could, I could totally see that being a unique type of challenge for her. Sometimes it's easier to try and be something completely that you're not rather than, <laughs> I don't know, something that feels pretty similar to yourself. But yeah, after Gypsy.
1: Love with the Proper Stranger. Yeah. Which came out in 1963, and she was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress
0: yeah so before age twenty five
1: yeah three Oscar nominations before age twenty five which at the time was tied with Teresa Wright for youngest person to have received three Oscar nominations now I believe Cyr Sharon and holds that record, yeah, but very cool that's that's a huge accomplishment, wow
0: <laughs> yeah I mean again i'll I'll say it, but when you accomplish so many things so early in life, you're setting a bar that is. Just continuously getting harder to to top. And I feel like that mentally had to be challenging and difficult for her to sort of deal with internally. And she's not always getting like the best praises for her roles either, especially after these films. So. Yeah,
1: we, we start to enter into this period of high commercial success, very low critical success. Mm-hmm. She went through an extremely emotional period all throughout her professional peak, if you will. She was very emotional. She sought a lot of therapy. There are some that say that she really struggled with being essentially directed her whole life, be it directors her mother, uh, studios, whatever. And that had a really negative effect on her identity, essentially not really having a huge say in a lot of things. I, If some opportunities like that chance to work with Elia Kazan weren't presented to her, like we might not have seen her find the success she did throughout the 60s.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is true. I would say up until the mid-60s to the 70s, that's sort of where this... Change happens in the acclaim.
1: And uh, by the way, she did marry Richard Gregson in 1969. If you're keeping track of her romantic life, that was what was going on. She, yeah, like we said, struggled with a lot of not so great films, but obviously when you're a big name you draw a lot of people in and there are a lot of kind of sex comedies which is really fascinating to me she it seems like she really pioneered that genre in my opinion and that's so interesting from being a a child star she starred in sex in the single girl and she was in bob and carol and alice and ted which is kind of like a swingers movie and the last married couple in america so i'm shocked to me that is so difficult to go from a child star to like a Swinger? I don't know, op- yeah, open <laughs> open sex kind of icon. That's That's pretty cool that she was able to do that.
0: And for those of you devoted listeners to the podcast, you'll always hear us reference the notorious code that's always <laughs> sort of happening in the background. So for yeah. her to be growing up pretty much alongside the code and yeah. then when it just completely goes away <laughs> and she has all this freedom to kind of do whatever she wants, I'm sure that's pretty liberating for her Maybe jarring in some ways even.
1: And again, it's kind of weird. She parallels the history of Hollywood herself. Yeah. I don't know from this innocence, but maturity to this openness, it's really quite fascinating. And she did actually go on a slight hiatus after having her daughter that we mentioned earlier, Natasha, in 1970. And she actually did turn down quite a few big roles, including Bonnie and Body and Clyde and Daisy and the Great Gatsby, I believe.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Great Gatsby one would have been so cool to see. That would have been, that's the one that I'm like, "Ah, I would have wanted to see in that one.
1: (laughs) That would have been interesting for sure. Yeah, so it is kind of, one wonders what could have been. But I almost think that that break from work probably was good for her to reorganize herself because think about it. She was working since what age four four? Yeah. and you're pushing out all these films and it's like a roller coaster. It's like good. And then kind of not so good and then good and then not so good. I, I, Yeah, so I think it was great that she had a little bit of a break. Unfortunately, she did separate from her husband, Richard Gregson, in 1971 after overhearing a conversation with his secretary that kind of alluded to infidelity, and they ended up divorcing in 1972. Interestingly enough, later that year, in 1972, she remarried her first husband, Robert Wagner. They reconciled.
0: Notably, three months after the divorce was finalized. So yes. what the hell? You know, it's like I.
1: I think the... they were true love, true love.
0: Maybe. <clears throat> well, we'll debate that in a minute. But. um,
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. I don't know them. I can't say for sure. But yeah. there was something still there. The flame was lit once again. We can say.
0: Yeah, but it's so hard because she has, you know, Natasha, her first child, and the, the and she's young too when this divorce is happening, and the one time. I maybe agree with the mom to try and work things out with oh, wait, what's his name? Uh, uh, Richard, Richard Gregson. Gregson. you know, it's I don't like know. i I agree, like you know, it's so hard. I think it's really up to those two and what the actual real life situation was.
1: I actually but, applaud Natalie for getting divorced that soon after their daughter was born. I think it is kind of damaging, to, I don't know, push to stay together for the kids if you're not really a healthy platform to raise kids together. And if she saw that with her other husband, I'm like kind of like more power to you for, you know, changing your life. And yes, that I'm sure that's hard that her own biological father wasn't there with her mom, but at the same time, I think she did what was right for herself. It's not selfish. I think she just focused on her own needs and that in turn is what was really the best interest of her kids. Or, well, kid. And then her, she ended up having a daughter with Wagner, Courtney Wagner, in 1974. And then Robert Wagner had his own child from a previous marriage as well. So they became a blended family, essentially.
0: Yeah. I, I would agree with about 80% of that. I am happy that <laughs> she stood up for herself and wasn't taking s***. But the fact that she got remarried what three months after kind of leads me to think that she was never truly over him or whatever made them sort of divorce and separate well, they in have the been first divorced place.
1: For 10 years, and you just yeah. changed the person in 10 years so yeah. much. Like, yeah. i I think you can have bad timing, I think you can not fit during one period of your life and then fit together in a different period of your life and you I I don't really know them that well but like they could have been friends for a really long time and yeah so yeah. it's it's hard it's hard to say for sure but all in all they did end up together and remained married until her death
0: Oh man Oh man so the the last sort of part of her career which involved mostly it looks like television
1: Yeah shows. lots of television shows her career in the 70s and while she passed 1981, but tip of the 80s, she was becoming more and more progressive with her roles. She was embracing her Russian heritage in the movie Meteor, for example. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because just considering the Cold War and all that stuff.
0: I was going to. Yeah, I think for me, the, the biggest thing that might have happened in the final stages of her career was the From Here to Eternity remake for when yeah which i guess awarded her a golden globe
1: but you, that is an interesting point to bring up tv was kind of remaking redoing spin-offs of these classic films to make it more accessible to people because we didn't have streaming or dvds quite yet so <laughs> things were becoming more accessible to people through remakes
0: yeah and that's that's a thing i think that we don't always think about it's like these people back in the day probably just heard of these films or these shows most of the time, or they just recognized their face. It's not like they were constantly being bombarded with it on social media, Twitter, whatever platform you're, you're catching up your news with. I think it is pretty interesting that they had to, I guess, make remakes that frequently or that they started to do that in order for new generations to become familiar with it
1: or if the older generations just want to relive it, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah, true. True. Do you want to put a bow on her career first?
1: Her last movie that she filmed was called Brainstorm and it starred Christopher Walken.
0: Oh man. And Here that's we go. kind of
1: yeah that's where she left off her career unfortunately to put a cap on everything wow we start off in 1943 and end in 1983 that is four decades of america progressing her progressing as a human being from child to adult insane for the industry progressing Oh my gosh, it's mind blowing to me to see someone be so present in the life of Americans through such a long span of history and how it deeply affected her, how she, to be honest, I think gave back to the industry and how she inspires people today. It's amazing that she had such a dynamic and eclectic, diverse career. She, to me, is such... A role model and icon for women who are trying to find themselves and grow into maturity and really amazing work. So talented, such a great symbol of femininity.
0: Very, I'll, I'll echo all that sentiment, but I'm ready to get into the fun stuff. <laughs> Let's dive into this <laughs> fun but I, not I will fun say stuff.
1: Natalie Woods left behind loved ones. We do not think it's fun that she died, but it is a topic of interest because it is a very controversial situation of her passing because it was not a natural death.
0: It was not. And as we have alluded to earlier, it involved her greatest fear, which just so happened to be something that one of the suspected parties involved in the situation claim that she was just casually <laughs> I don't even casually going to <laughs> I can't even think of a word
1: to to waltz around the yeah, boat <laughs> yeah she was
0: just going for a casual you know late night like I don't even know how <laughs> like <laughs> what well, the, what happened
1: <laughs> yeah we'll we'll dive a little deeper into it But, okay, so, like we had just mentioned, (laughs) she was filming a movie with Christopher Walken. It's... Up for debate, again, I don't personally know any of the parties involved or what people's relationships were. There are some supposed theories that there was flirting going on here and there between Walken and Wood that could be totally, totally inflated. There could be truth to it. I don't know. But there's thoughts that on the weekend after Thanksgiving, she and her husband, Robert Wagner, Christopher Walken, and Dennis Davern, who was the captain of their yacht, the Splendor, they all went for a weekend boating outing off Catalina Island. And during the evening of November 28th, or the morning of November 29th, 1981, she did drown after supposedly slipping off the boat. So a little more detail from that night for people that are interested. And a lot of this is coming from Mr. Dennis Davern, who's right now we know is an unreliable narrator to this whole weekend extravaganza. Yes. Apparently there were some fights between Natalie and Robert. It's uncertain, but there was some tension according to him and the day of her death. So night uh november 28th the party went ashore to doug's harbor reef and according to the server the foursome had a lot of alcohol so two wines two champagnes and that's bottles everyone bottles of champagne and wine Uh. daiquiris galore there was some rowdiness some broken glasses some staggering here and there Unable to walk. So this party, according to witnesses, were quite drunk, especially Natalie. And women process alcohol differently than men. By the way, for everyone who's curious, if and there's a chance that she might have felt the effects a little bit more deeply, the party apparently returned to their yacht for the night around 10 p.m. and she went missing at about 1.30 a.m. in the morning. There are lots of different witnesses with lots of different stories some supposed screams were heard some people thought she was drunk there was another yacht party going on so the screams might have been from there no one really knows for sure it's hard to say it was dark and late and yeah but the next morning her body is found about a mile away from the yacht and the inflatable dinghy the prince valiant was that belonged to the boat was washed upon the shore a little further south. And her blood alcohol level or her BAC was 0.14, which is almost double the legal limit in the United States. And there were bruises on her arms and legs and a cut on her cheek.
0: Yeah, there's a few characters that I just do not trust in this entire story, mainly anyone except for Christopher Walken. I used to joke around that Christopher Same. Walken was like a murderer. Same and all that. But now, after diving a little bit deeper into the story, I don't trust Thomas Noguchi, who was the (laughs) former chief medical examiner, coroner of the county of Los Angeles, also known as the coroner to the stars. He did Marilyn Monroe, Robert F. Kennedy, Sharon Tate, Gia Scala, William Holden, Natalie Wood, and even John Belushi. So Noguchi has his record, but I- It's a long career. Yeah, that is a really long career. He has like St honors too, but besides the point i don't I don't know if there's something up with him and our friend Robert Dick
1: <laughs> you think that they were in cahoots
0: <laughs> that's my fantasy that Wagner and Niguchi were in some sort of cahoots, but even Dennis davern, you know he's
1: a little sketchy too there's three there, there's three with-
0: people on the boat. How does no one hear?
1: You know what, though? I will say in...
0: She's scared of water. (laughs)
1: Well, (laughs) that's what's so crazy about all of this is I will say in the defense of the others on the boat, they had a lot to drink. And I don't, I mean, I've heard various interpretations of what happened between that Christopher Walken and Robert Wagner were chatting and they were distracted with one another. Then again, I mean, they could have gone to sleep, could have passed out somewhere. Well, and you don't hear stuff if you're past. Well, I guess they did notice she was missing though at one 30 in the morning. So I guess not. Okay. So throw that one out. I don't know. And it's a yacht and this thing is pretty big. I, I could see you maybe not hearing something on the complete other side of the yacht. I, I don't know, but I will say this. I, I, and again, people behave differently when they're inebriated. I do find it rather shocking that this deep fear, which seemed to have really perpetuated her to the point of where she was uncomfortable, even washing her hair, urban legend has it that in her drunken state, she would have, Oh, I think I'm going to take the dinghy and leave these men and go back to Catalina Island. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just think that would be a weird idea for someone with such a deep fear to have to try to attempt. Like there's no amount of I mean and I'm using a euphemism here there's no amount of liquid courage I feel like that would conquer her fear of water yeah to get her yeah. in that boat
0: I, I'm even struggling just imagining her going on a yacht you know she could go on the I mean if the Titanic hadn't sunk right or maybe like a, a Caribbean <laughs> cruise that doesn't I don't even know I'm, like
1: I Three, agree, actually. But you know what? We we all grow up. We all come to terms with our fears eventually. So for all I know, maybe she did work through that in therapy a lot where they're like, oh, it's water exposure therapy. It's okay. It's a boat. You're not in the water if you're on a boat. You're with other people. You're not alone. I could see her maybe working through that a lot. But if it's to the point where it's been described to me as being so deep and affecting her, I have a hard time seeing her getting in a dinghy are trying to
0: especially late at night dark water the ocean at night I think scares a majority of people regardless of whether they have a fear (laughs) of water or not I don't see this at all being clean or accidental
1: I I mean I actually I I will say I could see it being accidental for sure I just think it's unusual given a prophecy that you'll that you could die drowning having this fear of drowning your whole life. I think even if I worked through it a ton in therapy, I think I'd still be cautious. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, yes, we know her BAC was 0.14. She might have been drunkenly sleepwalking. I don't know. It's hard. It's really hard to yeah. tell.
0: Yeah. The only thing that maybe makes sense for the case that they're all innocent is that she was taking painkillers and like a few other drugs that may have just not reacted well with the alcohol, that's the only thing that I can think of that might make it plausible.
1: Also note this, everyone, the dinghy was set in neutral. So she didn't, let's say she did try to get into it. She didn't turn it on successfully, if you will.
0: There's no way that she's going in a dinghy in the middle of the night. (laughs) Like there's just no way.
1: (laughs) I, I, I think it's hard to believe. I think it's possible, but I do think it's hard to believe that after hearing all that we've heard. And yeah. yeah. And by the way, everyone who's interested, the case was reopened in 2011 after learning that the witness Dennis Davern had lied to police initially about the encounters of that weekend. And the investigation also brought to light or seemed to suggest that the afflictions, like the bruises and the cuts that Um, she had on her body might have happened before falling and drowning, which definitely leads to a concern for foul play. The new chief medical examiner changed the manner of death to drowning and undetermined factors versus just drowning. So that changed, and Robert Wagner was named a person of interest in 2018, but has vehemently denied any involvement.
0: Yeah, why why wouldn't he... (laughs) Why wouldn't he?
1: <laughs> um, if, I, if I were innocent, I'd also deny involvement as much as I would, more so if I were guilty, I think. <laughs> if I were innocent I would, and I was being accused of murder, oh, you bet your boots that I'm going to be saying every day that I did not kill her.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this boat, Splendor, this 55-foot yacht.
1: Oh, by the way, yeah. it was named after Splendor in the Grass. There you go.
0: Um, how cute um well <laughs> splendor this yacht was eventually docked in hawaii but it was there for 20 years and what never use again and eventually it, it actually just got scrapped yeah, at the beginning this year yeah which is pretty crazy
1: bad juju i'm sure with that boat i mean i don't know what happened even if it was an accident you know when there's a death involved it's like oh we need to sage this or dismantle it yeah or both
0: yeah exactly so I think that the the things that we can all agree on are that Christopher Walken is innocent yeah. and Wagner did it. So,
1: oh, no, but <laughs> we have oh, Mr. Wagner. We are not suggesting anything. We are just talking about the the circumstances of the night. <laughs> I would be devastated if someone accused me of killing my husband, much like Carol Baskin. <laughs>
0: Or Carol basketing my husband, which I think could be a verb now. <laughs> at this point,
1: oh, gosh, I well, you know, isn't it kind of weird? Back to the boat being named the Splendor. That during the filming of Splendor in the Grass, she was like tricked into going into the water, and then she ended up dying of drowning on a boat called the Splendor. Like <laughs> just yeah, the ironies and the bizarre bizarreities.
0: <laughs> Ironic <laughs> as. Doctor or er, Jacques Clouseau would say. So, yeah, Natalie Wood. If you guys are interested, we'll um, maybe take it a step further. Maybe we'll make this into a little murder mystery series. <laughs> Who knows? But we analyze
1: every which way. But um, but yeah, amazing.
0: Yeah, Natalie Wood again next week. Get ready, West Side Story. It's going to be real.
1: Absolutely, Natalie Wood left behind this tremendous legacy of acting we thank you for the gifts you shared with the world and we are excited to dive into a little musical action next week
0: most definitely all right everyone again don't forget to rate subscribe share with a friend comment on social media find us yeah leave us a comment (laughs) <laughs> and have some fun with us on quarantine. We would like, love
1: to. We will. I can guarantee you, someone will probably maybe respond <laughs> if, yeah. if you want to talk about movies.
0: Yeah, or or this murder, <laughs> <laughs> or, or this incident, and
1: just this mysterious <laughs> passing.
0: Oh man, it's been it's a fun quarantine, right, guys? Um, again, don't mean to. I don't mean to make light of any of this, but uh, really, really appreciate all the support that you've all given us throughout all these tough times hopefully these episodes have given you a little bit of fun a little bit of joy and a little bit of entertainment throughout these crazy times so yeah emma you have anything
1: stay safe and healthy and don't let your fears consume you but provide due caution for yourself
0: all right everyone until next time take care
1: bye, bye.